Please be seated. Our gospel text this morning comes from the gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter. Let us listen for God's word. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them all, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not exist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. He said, the, rich of, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And the man thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things that you have prepared Whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasure for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Greetings from Farm Church in North Carolina. Uh, the church that I help start and, and serve now is called Farm Church, and it's a church that meets on a farm and leverages all of the resources of that farm to address food insecurity. If we were farm church right now, we wouldn't be dressed as we are, and we would be filthy and sweaty. And that happens, that's part of the liturgy of farm church every single Sunday. And we give away everything that we grow. It's great to be here with you this weekend. It has been a privilege to be with the leadership of this church, um, to be with your elders and deacons and staff, and to have conversation, uh, and to be with you now. In this moment. The story that I just read to you from Luke's Gospel only appears in Luke's Gospel. Um, it doesn't show up in Matthew or Mark or John, just Luke. But the gist of that story kind of shows up over and over and over again in the Gospels. And it sounds a little bit like this. Someone starts a conversation with Jesus and Jesus basically says, you know, what you think we're going to talk about, that's not what we're going to talk about. Think about it. Uh, you remember the story about Nicodemus in John 3. Nicodemus was a well-respected teacher and uh, figure in his society. He came to Jesus under the cover of darkness and said, you know, Jesus, you're a very good teacher. And Jesus said, yeah, that's not what we're going to talk about. Nicodemus, you need to be born anew, born from above. I want you, all of you, Nicodemus. Remember the rich young man who came to Jesus and he said, well, what the Bible says that he said is he said, uh, hey, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? But we kind of know what was going on. I mean, he was filthy rich. And what he was sort of saying is, 
So I'm trying to gauge here, Jesus, what's the threshold? I mean, out of my vast wealth, how much? Are we talking, I'm going to keep going, Jesus. You tell me when, right? <laughs> and what did Jesus say? Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. That's not the conversation we're going to have. I'm sorry. I want you. I want all of you, he said. There was the Pharisee in Matthew who said, um, now Jesus, they, they like to test him, right? And he goes, Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? So this kind of econ 101 conversation, and Jesus goes, nope, nope. No, we're not talking about that. Yeah, you can give Caesar his coin. But I get all of you. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about all of you. Every time. That's not what we're going to talk about. Your question isn't deep enough. Your vision isn't wide enough. You're talking around the edges. Let me get to the heart of it. I want every part of you and nothing less. Let's listen again to the parable. Would you mind if I read it one more time? I think it went a little something like this. The investment portfolio of a rich man produced abundantly, and this, coupled with his company's success, mergers, a few acquisitions, and the availability of cheap labor in Malaysia, caused him to wonder, what should I do? For it is becoming impossible for me to either manage or spend all that I have acquired. And then he said, I will do this. I will tear it all down and I'll build even bigger. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have done very well for yourself. You have laid up ample goods for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. Sometimes it's helpful to tell it again. Sometimes it's just good to read it three times. So, once there was a church that in every measurable way basked in abundance. And so the people asked themselves, what should we do? For we have no place to cram all these people. And we need more parking. And then they said, ah, we'll do this. We'll pull down our buildings and we'll build larger ones. And there we will gather and worship God. And if we're honest, feel pretty darn good about ourselves, about the building campaign and all that we've accomplished. And we will say to our soul, soul, congratulations, you did it. The church at large is managing serious decline, but just look at us. We're crushing it. Relax. Feel good. Enjoy the air-conditioned shuttle ride from the newly paved parking annex C. <laughs> but God said to them, fools, this very night your life is being demanded of you. It's worth a quick look at the translation. The New International Version says something a little different. Uh, there's a line. The New International Version says, And I will say to myself, You have plenty good things laid up for many years. That's the NIV. But the NRSV, the version that I read, says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. There's a difference. The Greek word is suhe, 
And we don't really have a translation in English for the word suhe. Uh, we use the word soul, um, but really suhe is best translated as the seat and center of the inner human life. In other words, Luke 12, 19 ought to read something like this. And I will say to the very core of my being, to my innermost character, to my heart and my soul, I will say, Suhe, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Jesus continues, and God says to the rich man, You fool, this very night your life, and the word life in Greek is again suhe. Your heart, your soul, your innermost character, every single part of you, the essence of your being is being demanded of you this night. Jesus turns the conversation around. Poor guy comes to Jesus with a little question about his family inheritance. <laughs> and he walks away thinking about his suhe, wondering about his heart and soul, his innermost character. Jesus saying, I want you, all of you. I want the core of your being. I want the essence of your existence. I'm going to read it one more time. Once there was a church that in many measurable ways was struggling. It was the first Presby Lutheran Apalian non-denom church of everywhereville, USA. And they asked themselves, what should we do? For attendance isn't what it once was. And we're not going to make budget this year. And we can barely afford to keep fixing our building. The sanctuary needs a new roof. People just don't give like they used to. And, oh, remember when our Sunday school classrooms were full every single Sunday morning? And they said, we will do this. We will appoint a task force subcommittee of the committee at large to write a new mission statement and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and we will say to our souls, soul, church isn't like what it used to be. And guess what God said to them? Fools! This very night, your life is being demanded of you. I want all of it. I want the core of your being. I want the essence of your existence. It's like the church tried to start a conversation with Jesus. And the conversation was going to be about how a successful church, with some mixture of pride and anxiety about what's going well, or what's not going well, is going to get by in this day and age. And Jesus says, yeah, I know that's what you think we're going to talk about. That's not what we're going to talk about because I want your suhe. There's a great story about a rabbi who was wandering through the countryside, reading the Psalms, praying his way through the Psalms. And he was so engrossed in what he was reading and praying that he that he kind of lost his way, missed his turn, and just ended up in an uh, unfamiliar road, but was so engrossed in what he was reading and praying that he, that he didn't notice. And then he heard a voice from on high, and up on this kind of parapet wall, there was a, a centurion. And the centurion said, 
Who are you? Why are you here? And the rabbi looked up at the centurion and said, How much do they pay you to stand up there and ask people, Who are you and why are you here? And the centurion said, Well, they pay me two denarii a week. And the rabbi said, I will pay you double if you come stand out my door. And every time I leave the house, I want you to ask me those questions. Who are you? Why are you here? Those are Suhei questions. And they demand Suhei answers. Are we asking those questions in our churches? Are we striving to answer them? Are we starting that conversation with Jesus? Are we letting Jesus get a a word in edgewise? Who are we? This church. Why are we here? It is good for us as a church, especially in a postmodern, post-denominational, post-Christian culture, a culture that is increasingly spiritually engaged but institutionally suspicious. It is good for us as a church to spend some time engaging in conversation about our suhe, our soul, our innermost character as a community, our purpose. Who are we? Why are we here? But the demands of being a church are pressing. And so we find ourselves as leaders and congregations spending lots and lots of time talking about the problems of maintaining and hopefully sustaining church life. We talked about this yesterday, and I spend a lot of time with congregations asking this question, what are the two or three or four problems that seem to take up the lion's share of your time and energy as a church? Do a quick audit of the last few meetings you've attended or parking lot conversations. What are the problems that seem to eat up 80 to 95% of your time and energy? And here's what I want to share with you. It does not matter the size of the congregation. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter if they're conservative or liberal or somewhere in between. It doesn't matter how big their budget is. The problems that most of our churches spend time solving are attendance, money, and building over and over and over again. Attendance isn't like it used to be. Our classrooms aren't as full. Our congregation is aging. We have fewer volunteers, that kind of thing. Will we make stewardship this year? Will we make budget? Do we have enough? And the leaky roof. All of the things that need tending in our physical space. This may be one of the most important things I have to say to you. No one cares. Nobody. You you all care. Like we care. But no one outside of First Presbyterian Church cares that you have those problems. We're mindful of uh, the steady decline of religious life and participation in the United States. 
You want to know why that's happening? Because by and large, our churches have gone all in on solving problems that nobody cares about. That's a recipe for disaster. And we're doing it all the time. It's kind of like you go to your bank, I don't know, and for some reason you say to the teller, hey, what's like the biggest problem that this bank has? And the teller says, the refrigerator in the break room is leaking. And we keep trying to fix it, but it's, it's getting all over the floor and the carpet's wet, so it smells like mildew. We've constantly got fans on. We don't know what we're going to do. And you're standard, standing there thinking, I don't care. I don't care that your refrigerator is leaking. What if your biggest problem was, I don't know, me? Right? But we go all in struggling to solve problems of our own institutional maintenance. And ironically, we want more people to join our church because we perceive them to be solutions to the problems they already don't care about. Right? (laughs) Oh, we do it. If we had five more families join this church in the next fiscal year, and they each gave X number of dollars, we could close this gap, hire this person, whatever it is. Right? Guess what no one is saying in their home right now? Honey, wouldn't it be great to join a church so that we could help them meet budget this year? <laughs> Said no one ever. They don't care. But they care about something. They care about big things. We care about big things. We stumbled into this as Farm Church, this little elevator speech that we cooked up, which speaks to our suhe. Farm Church is a church that meets on a farm and leverages all of the resources of that farm to address food insecurity. You know, you're First Presbyterian Church, and so like you tell somebody, hey, I go to church at First Presbyterian Church, and sometimes that can be a conversation ender, especially for a spiritually hungry but institutionally suspicious person. But we say, we're a church that meets on a farm and leverages all the resources of the farm to address food insecurity, and they, I, we've heard people say, well, I'm an atheist, but I think I might come. <laughs> it's nothing about like, what actually happens. It's being able to say, what does it look like when we organize church not around a denominational identity or a physical address, but around God's suhe call alive in us. I always wonder about this. I shared this with your leadership yesterday. We know, the data shows that if a child can read at grade level when he or she or they is uh, in, in third grade, they're going to graduate from high school. And if a child cannot read at grade level, by the third grade, they're probably not going to graduate from high school. So fantasize with me about this, would you? That a church goes, okay, enough. Here's how we are going to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not going to be a mile wide and an inch deep. We're going to be an inch wide and a mile deep, and we are going all in on childhood literacy for every child within a 10-mile radius of our building, and we will stop at nothing. It's the thing that's going to keep us up at night. It's not even going to be fair because we're going after it. And that is how we're going to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's organizing church around a problem that has nothing to do with your own institutional maintenance and everything to do with a God who says, this very night, I demand your life. 
There's a, there's a great church uh, south of Durham uh, in Sanford, North Carolina, and they've got this thing going where they help people get IDs. You know, if you're homeless or housing insecure, it's easy to lose track of ID, driver's license, birth certificate, health insurance card, like all those things that we carry around. And um, so that's what they do. They're like, this is how we're going to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to help people get birth certificates. Because we know if they have a birth certificate, they can get an ID. And if they have an ID, there's other things they can do. They can get a job. They can get insurance. They can access Social Security. And so that's what this church does. They go all in. And the pastor was telling me about this guy who's homeless. Like everything that he has, he carries around with him in a couple of backpacks and some plastic shopping bags. But they helped him get a birth certificate. So you know what he did? He went to the dollar store and bought a frame. He has nowhere to hang it. He just wanted it in a frame. And every person he meets, he says, he pulls it out and says, this is who I am. This is how I know who I am. What happens when our conversations as church begin with this is who we are? This is how we know who we are. This is why we are here. What happens when our conversations with Jesus begin with this is who we are? This is our suhe, our essence. Could it be that the sacred source of the universe says, yes, let's go. Amen.